0: Been very hard to take four weeks and put it into like forty five minutes so i i've been i i want i have this group discussion time for for the class, but I think we'll do the the class work first so that I see how much time it takes and uh and then we'll have a good group discussion at the tables so um let's open in prayer father uh I thank you so much for this sweet group of your daughters we are. Here tonight to grow in wisdom and knowledge and the love of Christ. We hear your commands in Philippians 4.4 to rejoice in the Lord always. And in 1 Thessalonians 5.16 to be joyful always. So tonight Lord teach us. And in the days ahead may the very joy of Christ be fulfilled in us by the power of the Holy Spirit. My prayer for each of these women is that they're dear to your hearts. Each of them is dear to your hearts. And, and I pray that they will become a living expression of joy in Jesus Christ and channels of his joy into the world around them. Joy to the world in and through each of these dear women. This is what I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it's good to be back with you guys and, and joy. I mean... It's a good topic. <laughs> it's a topic close to my heart, but you know what? It's a topic close to God's heart. And, um, and I say that since the word joy appears 155 times in the Old Testament in 22 books and 63 times in the New Testament in 18 books. And then if you add the word rejoice, which means to show joy, it's in the Bible over 300 times. And yet we don't think about it that much. We don't dwell on it very much. Um, but, But we need to, and we're going to tonight. So, why is joy important? Well, because what's at stake is not just our experiencing joy, but that's what we normally think about. Honestly, what's at stake is the glory of God, the honor of God, the reputation of God. God is glorified not just by his glory being seen in creation or seen in his word or seen, but by his glory being rejoiced in. The devil knows God. He doesn't rejoice in God. He doesn't acknowledge his glory. He doesn't treasure God. He doesn't delight in God. So God's glory is belittled and his reputation is tarnished. So when John Piper says that God is most glorified when we're most satisfied in Him. It's important to understand that God commands our joy because His majesty really demands delight. It should be delighted in. It is good, true, and right to delight in God's majesty. He is supremely glorified by our delight in Him. And then we reap the benefits because like it says in um, Psalm 16 it says in verse 11 um, you will make known to me the path of life in your presence is fullness of joy in your right hand are pleasures forever so joy is important because because it's right to honor God in that way he he deserves our joy in him And then his joy is made complete in us. And and it comes full circle. So what is joy? Well, Jesus put it really simply. He said, be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. I I can't think of a more simple definition. Um, Joy is delighting in God and his salvation. For the sheer beauty and worth of who he is. Joy is what happens when we delight in God. And and Christian joy is rooted in, in the good news of the person, the work of Jesus. It's produced by the Holy Spirit through faith in God's word. It's a fruit of the Spirit and a gift of God. And by the way, you guys, feel free... Uh, a lot of you have never been in my classes, but just raise your hand, ask questions any time, add to it, subtract to it. Say, "Hey, I didn't understand." So, can you slow down? <laughs> so, and sometimes when I'm talking, you know, I'm used to one-on-one with people in a room, and and I can really read them. But I, I get very anxious in a room where there's a lot of people because. I, I can't read everybody at the same time, and my mind's going bing, 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 bing. So I, I would really appreciate you just being um, just free to chat with me and raise your hands. Mm. But um, I guess it's the, the fact that the joy of Christ is fulfilled in us. And John fifteen eleven says that one of the reasons that Jesus came was so that his joy may be in us and that our joy may be full. And I love that because the joy of God that's in the Trinity is, <coughs> is really the same joy we're talking about. It means that we can be in them and they are in us. And, and their love and peace and joy that flows in the Trinity that makes them so so close, so much oneness is available for us in Christ. And and that's there's such a gladness of heart from knowing God and abiding in Christ and being filled with the Holy Spirit. So there is there is that aspect of of us in Christ being in this beautiful loving place that's full of joy and love and peace and goodness and kindness and oh thank God self-control. So, but, um, you know, C.S. Lewis put it this way. He said, God designed the human machine to run on himself. God designed the human machine to run on himself. He himself is the fuel that our spirits are designed to burn. The food our spirits are designed to feed on. There is no other. And that is why it says in Psalm 144, 15 that um, happy are the people whose God is the Lord. So God built us to turn to him and find fulfillment, to find our contentment, to find our happiness in relationship with him. So the idea is, hi Remy. <laughs> That's okay, Any time. So the idea is, is that we seek God and happiness will follow. Harry Ward Beatrice said, the strength and the happiness of a man consists in finding the way in which God is going and going that way with him. And in that way, we find our joy. So the greatest thing that we need to know is that God wants us to be happy. In him, there is happiness. He's the ground of all happiness, but there's a twist here. Because God's definition of happiness may be just a little bit different than ours because the the true definition of happiness has been hijacked by our culture. And so, you know, for thousands of years now, happiness was found in faith, in a meaningful life, in virtuous living in intimacy with family and friends other people serving serving God serving others in a in a life well lived to the glory of God but you know and I've lived through a lot of this most of you haven't in fact you've been steeped in this culture we're going to talk about but after world war 1 and the great depression and world war 2 you know what Americans were sick of hard. They really didn't like it, and they were starting to run from it. They wanted to leave hard behind. And then, you know, technical advances made life a lot easier. All of a sudden, grocery stores with prepackaged food and frozen foods were popping up everywhere. And wash machines and refrigerators and plane travel and microwaves. Everything that made time available for self and for pleasure Um, consumerism and advertising exploded radio magazines, TV, the internet um, everybody promising pushing a wonderful lifestyle changes that would bring a better life more happiness ease and and. You know, everything started going that way. Rabbi Joshua Lieberman um, wrote a book called "Peace of Mind," and it told everyone to relax and love yourselves." He even wrote a whole new set of commandments, including "Thou shalt not be afraid of thy hidden impulses. thou shalt love thyself and it it touched a nerve and it topped the New York Times bestseller list for fifty eight weeks and then along came humanistic psychology um, people and the leading one was Carl Rogers and he was the most influential psychologist of the 20th century and he decided that human nature was intrinsically good hmm. people needed to love themselves more and they needed to remove the external restraints on their glorious selves now I want you to think about that a minute that message they need to remove the external restraints on their glorious selves now God in his will for our lives his commandments unwanted children mm, the spouse that we think is holding us back illness whatever So in short, you know, American uh, popular culture pivoted from abiding in Christ to teaching each person to really fulfill their own potential. Self-actualization, it was called. And it's what you probably heard about in psychology as you went through school. Self-actualization, building our own self-esteem, our own personal happiness. So we move from the ultimate aim of life being glorifying to God to happiness itself as being, you know, the ultimate aim in life. And I I know that you felt that, uh, even though we may not express it, culture is is such a, um, a force in our lives that we do feel these things, so it's important to talk about them. Because happiness is culturally defined as feeling good, as life going well, you know, you're getting what you want out of life. Your situation and your circumstances meet your desires. Others around you are responding to you the way you want them to respond to you, the way you expect them to respond to you. So It's good, and you can be happy. And yet, ironically, we're not a happy culture. Our happiness, uh, according to Harris Bowles, Uh, the levels of happiness in the United States have steadily been declining, and our stress levels have been steadily increasing. Um, So as we chase this elusive concept of of happiness, worldly happiness, and we abandon the concepts that really create true happiness, like faith and meaningful life, virtue, intimacy, we're becoming less and less happy as a culture. And and so, um, let's see here. Did that work? Oh, this is so exciting. (laughs) So this is how we're created by God. Uh, We have a body. We have a soul, personality, and we have a spirit. Now, life is out here on the outside, right? And and so um, it's important to think about this because there's two ways that we can live life. And one of the ways is from the outside in, worldly happiness. One of the ways is from the inside out, joy. And, and so we want to kind of talk about that a little bit tonight. Um, so a happiness culture lives from the outside in. And what I mean by that is, most of the time, our moods and our actions are based on the circumstances of things outside of ourselves, right? If things are going well, we're happy. Um, so, and, and you know, really, very rarely does that outside in living ever get into our soul. And that's why we never find a sense of true um, peace and joy and happiness. Um, it just never gets in that far. So, in our body, our body part, happiness would be called pleasure, pleasure is an agreeable an, an enjoyable sensation it, it's the body's physical response to positive external things experiences, objects a bag of potato chips uh, a TV show uh, a compliment from somebody uh, a great workout getting an exciting text or a shopping trip and, and when the pleasurable thing is gone though, guess what <coughs> Happiness is gone, too. And so this, this thing evokes uh, happiness, but it's short-lived, and therefore it's very addictive. Same thing with, you know, it could be alcohol, it could be anything. All of these external things, they can create this feeling for a very short period of time, and then it's gone. And so, very addictive. Now, happiness is, is in our soul. In our, in our mind, in our thinking, in our attitudes, in our feelings, in our emotions, in our memories. Um, and it's an it's a feeling which one experiences when you're feeling content, you're feeling satisfaction. So these external things can create them for a very short period of time. But when things go away, if you have, you know. As long as things are going, if you have a good day, yeah, good. It's Friday, hey, it's a good day. It's Monday, hey, it's a bad day. You know? I mean, so you can see why they talk about it as being a hedonistic treadmill. (laughs) Because you're constantly chasing after the next pleasure, the next external recognition, the next thing that we think (coughs) might bring happiness. And, you know, we've all played this game that we call, I'll be happy when. I'll be happy when I get this car. I'll be happy if I had more money. I'll be happy if I find the right shade of lipstick. I'll be happy if I go on vacation in Mexico. I'll be happy if I lose five pounds. I really will. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> and the, I'll be happy if. Well, I'll be happy if my husband would just. And I'll be happy if my kids would just. And I'll be happy if this just hadn't happened. So there's a couple of things happening here. And and two things that I think are really important. First of all, the grass is always greener somewhere else, right? I'll be happy if or I'll be happy when. And um, happiness becomes a destination. And it's usually in the future, and it's usually beyond our control. I'll be happy if I get married. I'll be happy if I'm not married. You know, I mean... It goes on and on and on. And we're always waiting for something that we think will make us really happy. And we're waiting for satisfying life to begin. And, but you see, what's happening here is we're not really happy today then. We're, we're waiting <laughs> for something more. Giving our minds the idea that there is something more, that there should be something more. Um, We're living for the future instead of savoring the beauty and the graces of the day and finding contentment in reality and life as it is. So I think the other thing that's going on here is that if and when we did get something that we've been waiting for, that we think is going to bring this happiness, it's only a temporary happiness. It's a temporary excitement. And then we re- it retreats into the ordinary, or the reality of it being less than perfect catches up with us because we always think it'll be perfect, right? That, then we'll be really happy. But the reality of it is that it can't be because this is a fallen world, and there is no perfect happiness outside of eternity with Christ. But our, we don't, our game doesn't play that way. Our game thinks it's going to be perfect. And then this expectation of then I'll be really happy. Minus the reality of, yeah, it's not as good as I thought it was going to be. Then we get disappointment. And disillusion grows. And I think that's one of the reasons that um, we're actually a more unhappy culture. Because we keep going for this next point, And when we get there, we find it's not what we thought it would be. <sighs> And then we keep going for another point, hoping. And then all of this is just one disappointment after another. And we're living in this constant disappointment um, as we try to pursue this happiness. So entire lifetimes can pass pursuing this illusion of happiness, this outside-in living, which can't help but disappoint us. Because there is no... Pure happiness in a fallen world. And joy and sorrow are always together. And, you know, the concept of happiness kind of says that, um, that either you're happy or you're sad, right? Either things are good or bad. And that's not the way life is. Because And that's why happiness is so elusive. Because happiness, as soon as these negative emotions of sad, fear, anxiety come in what happens to happiness it can't hold the same space can it it can't hold the same space as the negative emotions disappointment anger none of these negative emotions it can't stick with with happiness for very long and so although we think that life comes in these hills of happiness and valleys of disappointment that's That's not true. It doesn't come in times of happiness and times of sadness. Actually, in reality, it's more like train tracks. Every day in your life, wonderful things are happening that bring pleasure and contentment and joy and beauty to you from Christ. Um, Little blessings. And at the exact same time, there's a painful, difficult track that's always happening in your life. Um, And it may be your own hurt or disappointments or sorrows, or it could be somebody else's that you love. But there's always, both of these are running throughout every day of your life, both joy and sorrow. They run parallel to each other every single moment. And that's going to be important when we talk about, about how to cultivate joy in our lives. But for now, what we want to realize is that um, even the most amazing experience will never be perfect. And while you're experiencing a very difficult trial, there's always something true and noble and right and pure and lovely and admirable and excellent and praiseworthy to think about to allow us and give us the strength and the joy of our salvation to deal with all the negatives that are running on that, on that suffering parallel. And that's why it's so important to experience life this way. Um, so, you know, it's easy to say, and, and if you read secular literature, you're going to see it all over. Oh, you know, happiness is as a butterfly. As soon as you pursue it, you know, it's beyond your grasp. But If you just sit down quietly, it'll light on you. And, you know, but the bottom line is, they all know it's it's elusive, happiness. And yet... <sighs> Wow, it's hard for him to come to Christ to find the true thing. So I did want to show you this because I thought it was very interesting. Um, so this this lady, Sonya, I can't Im- say her name. It's on your it's on your thing. <laughs> she wrote a book. So I read the book. Um, how the how of happiness, and and it is interesting in that you know she confirms this. Only ten percent of happiness in people is by your circumstances. And she makes a big deal in her book of talking about money and how actually money does not bring happiness. Money can bring suffering if you don't have enough. But as soon as you have just enough, it doesn't add to your happiness, which is an interesting concept. But that's one of the things. That's why she has the money bag down here. But it's interesting to realize that that confirms what we're talking about. And yet, so so much of what we're, you know, the culture out there is all talking about finding happiness, right? Making happiness. 50% of happiness is your genes. Sorry. (laughs) Um, It's a bell curve, though. So when they say 50%, I mean, you know, uh, we're going to all fall somewhere on that. And, And therefore... Sometimes for those of you who fall in, in a difficult, you know, you're genetically not a very happy person. You're very somber or serious. And, and actually, I am. Um, but, yeah. So when you say genes, do you mean
1: like personality? Like, what, what, is that, what does
0: genes mean? Mm-hmm. We have a, 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 an inherited genetic happiness level. And you know some people who are real optimistic. Oh, anything can go on, you know. <laughs> and then, and then there's the half-empty people, <laughs> right? And they're, it's just going to be harder for them. That's all. And, and so all I can say if, is if you're that person, you have to do the same thing we're going to be talking about. It's just going to be a little harder. But this is what you need to know, is God knows exactly who you are, and he is honored in your struggle to um, seek after him and seek after his joy. And so... We don't compare, it is genetic, a lot of it is genetic. We don't compare our joy to another person's joy because we can't. But the thing is, God, how do I say this? Well, when God lives in our hearts, He looks different as He puts His joy through each of us. So, like, if you have, you know, 30 people who wrote the Bible and they each have the Holy Spirit alive in them but they each write with a different flavor, right? Because the Holy Spirit is inside of that unique person giving his, putting God through that particular clay vessel. So we don't compare our clay vessels. We just allow God to come into our clay vessel with his joy and allow it to shine through us in whatever it looks like. And so... I think that's really important when we're talking about the genetic. Just take your vessel, it's all you got, it's all I got. Give it back to the Lord and, and let him put his joy in it and see what it looks like. <laughs> and But one thing I can tell you, it's going to be a beautiful thing. It's going to be a beautiful thing. But the, the thing that's interesting is that leaves 40% that we have things to do with. And I think that's interesting because although... Um, God is joy, and He is the one who grows the joy in our lives. Uh, we there are also things that we can do to lean into joy, and and that He tells us about in His words. So we will be talking about some of that. But happiness is a joy, and and now I have to put this back. But the concept of of seeking after joy in our spirit and leaning an in inside out life is. It's so important because um, because it can't be taken away. It can't live in the same uh, space as sadness and suffering, illness, hardships. So happiness, like a little child, has to grow up. Has to grow up into joy. We have to move from the happiness that the world has taught us into this joy of the Lord. Because then, you know, we could get fired, we could get dumped, we could get dumped on, we could get pulled through the eye of a needle, and we will still feel held by God, because he is the container of joy, and he is the joy, and he lives in us, and, um, and our sorrow can be directed at the circumstance outside, but there's still joy, because that joy is focused on God and flows from God. So at the very same time that we can have sorrow at this circumstance outside, we've got this internal exchange going on, and it's, it holds us. And it's why in 2 Corinthians 6.10, Paul can say, and he can describe himself as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing and yet possessing everything. That's, that's this concept. Do you hear it? With joy, there's hope for every future. There's purpose in every trial. There's resurrection after every cross. But most important, there can be joy along the path because happiness isn't your destination. Because joy is a journey. It's not a destination. She's fine. Walk her a little. (laughs) Um, If happiness is our goal in life, we're going to end up Shallow, self-absorbed, selfish, because when we're self, when we're happy, we're getting whatever we want, and and it doesn't lead to spiritual transformation, and it doesn't lead to sanctification. Happiness doesn't teach us things; it's the easy way out. It's the easy way out, and we tend to do that, don't we? As humans, we tend always to take the easy ways. It's our challenges and our failures and and the difficulties of life that really grow us and make us into the image of Christ. So, we know these things as Christians, but so often our flesh rules. And, And we even base our faith on circumstances. Did God answer my prayer? Did God heal my sickness? Did God make sure I got the job? Did God save my marriage? Um did God make that annoying person go away did God make me feel happy today um, if we don't see God at work in our circumstances our faith has a tendency to get weaker and we wonder if God cares and and I, I have to tell you since the very beginning devil's been using this to convince us that God's intentions are dubious and that we should invest wholly in our own lives instead of of trusting God and um, you know he'll do anything he can to move us into to get us away from God's will to get us into self-esteem or happiness or performance to rob us of this joy that we're talking about because this joy is so honoring and magnifying to God and so important for us as his children he'll do anything to keep us from this and he's doing a darn good job and he's calling us to focus on ourselves and distract us from living in eternally significant and satisfying ways. And so we really have to be very careful. That's why this is so dear to my heart, this concept. <coughs> and, and so he would have us go the opposite way of life in the spirit. God doesn't live for our happiness, but our happiness flows out of his life and abiding in his life. Because he himself is, he's happiness, he's joy. And Romans eight four says that Christians don't live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Becoming a Christian means that this Holy Spirit has joined with your spirit, with my spirit, in that spirit up there in the center, to give us new life. And that means that now we can live from the inside out. and And so our spirit is indwelt by God's spirit. And Romans 8.10 says, if Christ is in you, then even though your body, even though the outside, even though the circumstances are subject to, to difficulties and death because of sin, even though your situations are difficult, the spirit of Christ is life and joy and peace and hope and it lives in you. God himself, in all his wisdom, his power, his joy, has connected himself with us on the deepest level forever and ever, and he lives in our heart. And because of that, we will never have to be subject and live under our circumstances like people who are focused on happiness. Never again. And so our happiness is not grounded in situations and circumstances of life, but in the liberating power that comes from the outside into our hearts through Christ from his spirit and transforms our souls and our minds and teaches us how to enjoy and to rejoice in the things of life whether sweet or full of trials and sufferings because as as J.I. Packers says he says when people know God, the losses and the crosses of life cease to, matter to, cease to matter to them because what they have gained in Christ banishes these things from their mind. And it's like a woman, after childbirth, she forgets the pain because of the great joy of bonding with this new loved one. And, But my favorite, the favorite thing I ever heard on joy is by a, a Puritan writer, and his name was Will, William Guthrie. And he captured this concept of joy perfectly for me anyways. Here's what he said. Joy is a communication of the Spirit of God. It's a glorious, divine manifestation of God into the soul, shedding abroad God's love into the heart. It is a better thing felt than spoken of. It's no audible voice, but it's a ray of glory filling the soul with God as he is light and life and love and liberty and we respond by saying it's good to be here and I think that's just beautifully said and exactly what we're talking about so if we seek joy for our own sake it's going to be elusive we're not going to find it but if we seek Jesus we're going to be engulfed in joy and quite by surprise (laughs) And all that being said, joy in a fallen world a fight. <laughs> we know that. Because life is full of trials and illnesses and fears and anxieties and disappointments and sorrows and losses and abuses and betrayals and difficulties. And even the most faithful, focused Christians will encounter periods of depression and spiritual darkness. But this is the deal. Turning to God struggling for his promised joy i'm not leaving without it you promised it i'm waiting for it that's the process of christian life it's part of god's plan it brings him honor brings him glory And and it grows us and it transforms us through the trial and it you know as we're purging the evil and the difficulties and sinking our roots deep into god's reality and grace joy blossoms and we have to fight for the relationship with God that he called us to we have to fight to be women of joy we have to fight our culture we have to fight countless distractions that keep our eyes focused on circumstances and external and we we need to fight um, the devil's desire for us not to trust God and we have to fight our fallen natures that seek happiness and avoid suffering. And we have to fight this concept that we would prefer um, less than true happiness himself. A substitute happiness. Because it's easier. And, and it's, it's, it's actually an idolatry. Because seeking happiness in the world is seeking a lesser, a lesser happiness than God. You know? Um... It's, God good, it's God's good plan for his children to seek their happiness in communion with him, their origin, their ground, their destiny, and happiness himself. And so, um, so with that 40%, that's under our control, um, we want to be spiritual farmers. The growth is the Lord's, yes. He makes it grow. But, you know, We cultivate it. We cultivate the the ground. And then he grows the kingdom in us. So John MacArthur gave a very interesting theology of joy in one sentence. He said, true joy is a gift from God to those who believe in the gospel, being produced in them by the Holy Spirit as they, as we, receive and obey the word mixed with trials and set their hope on future glory. It's good, huh? So we cultivate it by receiving and obeying the word, by receiving trials, trusting God in our trials, trusting that he has purpose in each and every one of our trials, by setting our hope on future glory. And we have to, we have to take our life and purposely use it. We have to use that, that 40 Because most people don't. You know? They go with the cultural flow on autopilot. They drift through life. They... And I'll just say, if we ruminate on the past, which we can't change, if we worry about the future, which we can't change, (laughs) Um, if we're distracted in the present, letting circumstances, people, money, business, sin, fears, guilt, anger, diversions, addictions, shame, elusiveness of happiness, all kinds of things control our lives. We need to take our life back. We need to take charge of our life and for the decisions to live from the inside out and cultivate the seeds of joy. First and foremost, by focusing on Jesus, by by loving him for who he is and by loving other people generously. It's his will. Love your Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and spirit. Love your neighbor as yourself. That is going to bring joy. James McDonald says, Joy is a supernatural life in the person of Jesus, the person of God. I don't just love him. I love him. I love all his ways. I love all his ways. He's awesome. Joy is a supernatural delight in the person of God, and the purposes of God, and then in the people of God. Um, when you think about that, that says a lot. We love God. We love everything about God. We trust God. We trust everything he does. And, and when we think about that, that's where, that's where the devil gets us, right? That's where religion today is falling down in so many churches. You know, we love God, but we love him for the happiness he causes us or for the, how he supports our life. or But do we love God for God? Do we love everything? Do we love who he is? That's where joy comes from. Joy looks upward. It looks outward. But it doesn't look inward. (laughs) We get lost. We get lost in loving God and loving others. And that's joyful. Just the opposite of what culture tells us. Of self-actualization. Self-happiness. Self-esteem. Happiness is found, true happiness in getting lost in Christ. And the secret, you know, to joy is is actually so funny because it's that old thing we all learned in when we were in Sunday school, you know? The acrostic. Jesus, others, yourself, right? A child's lesson, but a lifelong journey to put into practice. But there's a lot of secrets in Philippians 4. I love Philippians 4, it's one of my favorite passages. Um, the first one is rejoice in the Lord always again I say rejoice and you know the funny thing is that um, yeah her book her book talks about the the fact that um, the number one thing that causes happiness is savoring life she'll say and it goes along with exactly this rejoice and again I say rejoice right because what it's saying is, take time to savor your family, your friends, the daily graces, the goodnesses that God gives you to strengthen you for life and the journey in a fallen world. Don't be distracted from savoring. And we do, because life is so busy. We get so distracted from savoring. And, and what is going to cause us joy and true happiness is truly savoring these good things that God are are there along the along the way. Along the path. And the path is sometimes, you know, a hard path. But there's God has still put enough along the side of the path to strengthen us for the journey. The joy of the Lord will be our strength for the journey. And the ultimate currency of happiness is is just savoring. Hmm. You know, we shouldn't take the good things, the beautiful things, the little things for granted. We have to savor each and everything. And you know, it's it's funny because we don't really realize this, but our hearts have a negative bias. And, and what that kind of means is that we're Teflon for good, but we're Velcro for bad. And, uh, and it's just the way we are right now you know we tend to see the negatives more strongly because we're fearful because we are trying to protect ourselves and and so this concept of savoring the good really has to be very um, willful because naturally we're going to have a negative bias and we're going to our minds and you all, you've all had the thought rotisserie something negative happens in you something positive happens in what you know Teflon but the negative they'll grow. Mm. So, you know, it's just really really important that we realize that we have got to savor. That's why, you know, in all these books that come out and talk about oh being grateful and and, you know, going back over your day and being grateful for things. Yes. Yes. But the reason you're doing that is is for you to number one realize these beautiful little things that God has given you today to um satisfy your heart and then to make those what's going on in in your thought rotisserie because that is going to create joy and happiness and joy and happiness and, and we'll talk a little more about that in a second but but you know it depends on a good breakfast oh that was so good that was so tasty every time you take a bite of food that's what you need to be doing thank you lord for this food. this is good you know an egg I cannot believe that you made a chicken, and it eats dirt. And out of that dirt comes a whole chicken, which I had for dinner last night, and now this egg, which is perfect that I'm having for breakfast. And I am just amazed, God. And, you know, no, I'm serious. You're savoring. You're savoring. And you're, you're, as C.S. Lewis says, you know, you're going back up the beam of light to the creator of that light. And and so it's a heartfelt positivity. Rejoice. And again, I say rejoice. Um, And, you know, Henry Ward Beecher said, The art of being happy lies in the power of extracting happiness from common things. And I think that's really what we're talking about. The second thing from, from the Philippians 4 passage, in verse 5, it says, The Lord is near. Do not be anxious for anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Let the difficulties of this life draw you to Him. You know what? They don't often do that. Usually the difficulties of life, we run and we try to fix it. We get on the thought rotisserie. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? How am I going to ward this off? And, and let these difficulty things draw you to God. Share your cares. Trust in his unfailing fatherliness to you. Stop, seek Jesus, and wait for it. Wait for it. Wait for it. The miracle of joy and adversity. Thank you, Amber. (laughs) She drew this for me. (laughs) That's my concept. We're down here in the mud. With the worms. But we're, we're focusing on God. And we're keeping our head above the clouds. And, and he's shining on us. And we're waiting for it. And all of a sudden, this joy is going to come into our hearts, and it's going to give us the peace that we need that surpasses all understanding, that allows us to keep our hearts and our minds in Christ within all situations. Um, yeah, I just think, you know, his head's on the cloud, God's sun is shining on him, and his feet may be in the mud, but he's where he needs to be. And then in verse eight, it says, finally, brothers and sisters, what is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. So again, you're focusing on the blessings of each day, the fuel our spirits are designed to burn for happiness. And finally, verse nine says, whatever you have learned or received from me, uh, put it into practice, and now we're we're talking about seeking virtue by being obedient to God's word, and serving God and others, and bringing meaning into your life. Worldly happy focus, worldly happiness that we talked about, you know, outside in it focuses on getting, and we're never going to be happy by getting. We're going to be happy by giving, and uh, Acts. Uh, 2035 says there is more happiness in giving than in receiving. And that's just the opposite of what the world tells us. We're all waiting for getting something. We all want to get something. If I get this, I'll be happy. If I get that, I'll be happy. No. As we give, as we let God's love flow through us, as we let His grace flow through us, we are soaking that in. And that's how we get. That's how we thrive by giving, by being generous by making a difference in other people's lives, by focusing on other people's lives, by praying for them. And, and, and in fact, that's that next little piece. He's, he says, um, did I miss it? Pray about everything? Oh, well, maybe I did. Where did I put that? Uh, it's in there. Oh, hmm. It comes after the do not be anxious. In verse six, it says, um, present your request to God. Let the difficulties of life, you know, it, be there. Being taking them all to him, so um, yeah, we got to get back to to where we were before this whole cultural breakdown, and in um, realizing that I think the difference is in in the culture today. Most churches would say that you know, uh, God wants us to be happy. He and you know that's God did not create us to be happy. God created us because. He is joy and he is happiness. And as we sink our roots into him, we sink our roots into joy and happiness. And the world seeks happiness and it's going to find it very elusive. But if we give our life to the glory of God, joy and happiness is going to find us because it's in him. It's rooted and grounded in him. It's our destiny in Christ. And Isaiah 35.10 says, The ransom to the Lord will return. They will enter Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them, and sorrow and sighing will flee away. So now, here in this world, we experience the joy of the Lord, and it is our strength. But when we see him face to face, it's going to be joy unspeakable. Um, Everyone will be fully happy. There will be no dissatisfaction of any kind, and no one will be able to think of even a tiny way that things could be better. And we will have reached the purpose that God created us for, to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And so I want to leave you with these words of Spurgeon because, I don't know, I don't think they can be improved on. (laughs) He says, So many of you feed and so many of you drink until you come to the mount of God. Wait, can I start over? It's been a long day. I was in Chicago this morning, guys. So many of you feed and so many of you drink. Okay, I'm going to do it one more time. Here, let's try this. Yeah. So may you feed and so may you drink until you come to the mount of God where you shall see his face unveiled. And standing in his exceeding brightness, shall know his glory, being glorified with the saved. Till then, be happy. If the present is dreary, it will soon be over. Oh, but a little while, and we shall be transferred from these seats below to the thrones above. We shall go from the place of arching brows to the place where we all wear crowns, from the place of weary hands to where they bear the palm branch of victory, from the place of mistake and error and sin and consequent grief to the place where they are without fault before the throne of God, for they have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. So rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice, and and let's close in prayer. Father, um, may Paul's voice ring in our ears. Rejoice always. Again, I say rejoice. Help us to be on guard that we may not let the thieves of joy steal away the delight of our hearts. For all you are, for all you do, you, Jesus, are our most treasured possession. So help us to walk in the Spirit, being filled with the Spirit, experiencing what he produces, namely joy. Along with love, peace, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, meekness, and self-control, accomplish All your good and your gracious work in us, Lord, that we may be joyful now and full of joy in the life to come. Joy unspeakable in Christ Jesus, our Savior. Thank you, Father, for what you're working in us and in our hearts through Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. And now may the God of all hope fill you with joy and peace in believing that you may abound in the hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. uh I thank you, Lord, for this time that we get to spend together. And and questions, thoughts, additions, subtractions. No thoughts, you're so quiet. You're the quietest group I've had in a long time. And yet
1: his <coughs> attitude was, you know, God is good.
0: Mm-hmm. He's moving, continuing
1: to move on with the Lord despite the circumstances. Mm-hmm. He changed, significantly changed his ministry
0: to mm-hmm. be able to preach and write mm. and travel. You know, and, and sometimes you think about somebody like uh, a Joni Artsentara. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when, when she first, and she has books out that are very interesting because when she first had this, you know, horrible accident, and and was a paraplegic she was really troubled and and seeking god and trying to understand but through this trial just look at the lives that have been touched and and the changes that have been wrought and i think sometimes it's it's hard to understand god's plans but that concept of joy and the joy that she has um when you see her, like if you see her in person or if you read her books, you sense the joy that she has, and and it is amazing when you think that of the difference between this concept of happiness and how our culture is truly so obsessed with happiness, and uh, the difference between finding this true joy and the difference that makes that meaningful life and and the life of virtue and living for Christ instead of for yourself. you are you tired? <laughs> um, so, no. anybody else? I was going to say, you know, when you look at your little pie chart, <laughs>
1: the circumstances are completely against you. Mm. And I have felt that recently.
0: I bet you have. And I was thinking of you as I was talking. <laughs>
1: not have survived this past week with a sick toddler and all the doctor's appointments that my daughter had if I hadn't had the prayers of the apostles women and all of my friends and that really small dose of medicine my doctor gave me too. <laughs> so don't be afraid to reach out and that's one of the things that God's also teaching me is I don't like to get help I don't, I don't ask for help and you know, Amber can even tell you. She texted me, and I—I I did text you back for like a week and a half. And <laughs> <laughs> offer help for me; it's very hard. And for him, and so, but I'm finding—I'm finding God in those, and by finding God in those little things, I am able to not fall under the weight of my circumstances because it is only ten percent, mm-hmm. and I can't let the circumstances be more than the ten mm-hmm. percent they were.
0: Well, sometimes they are very big very big you know and uh and i do you said something in there that was really significant for me and i think something we all need to think about is that you know there's certain things that really do keep us from from the things that we talked about cultivating joy and and not being able to accept help and there can be pride but there's also a fear, there's also this fear of loving and, and loving freely and loving freely is such a big part of finding joy, of just expressing love, of telling people you love them, of receiving your love and and honestly it's, it's huge because a lot of people, I mean it sounds easy but honestly people don't feel vulnerable enough to love and be loved and open themselves even from God. And so that's one of those things, and that I deal with a lot in my office, because that's one of those basic things that keep us isolated, and it's it's so important the The concept of joy is in community, it is in love, it is in the joy that is uh, you know just praying for other people, uh, joying with those who joy, weeping with those who weep. It's such a piece of life that really does create that, that joy. That I can't tell you how important that is, of letting go of those things, whether it's pride, whether it's fears, whether it's thinking we're unlovable or thinking that other people will let us down. or There could be a thousand reasons, but those are really important things to let go of.